Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning. I, I know that um, being a part of Infusion has been such a, a great blessing. When I came down here um, to be a part of seminary, I was really not sure what kind of church community I would find here, but I'm really grateful that God brought us here and that we've been able to enjoy fellowship with you guys. So um, again, I'm, I'm excited. So why don't we do this? Let's, let's open up to 1 John 3, 19 to 24. If you have your, uh, your Bibles, you can pull them out or you can whip out your smartphone or they might even be up on the screen. And you know what? I'm going to switch over to the handset now. We had some uh, issues with the headset earlier, so I figured I'd just cut that out right now and, and uh, switch over. Okay, so 1 John 3, 19 to 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I was was actually reminded of, of something really interesting that I had learned about kingship in ancient Persia. Under the Achaemenid Empire, it was actually believed that the kings, the rulers over Persia were divine, and because they were believed to be divine, they actually required that other people worship them as deities or as as gods. There's even an ancient Persian uh, that records this process like this. Among the many fair laws that we have here, the fairest is that which commands reverencing the king and prostrating oneself before him as before the image of the God who governs the world. Now, no one could enter the presence of the king without special permission, and everyone who wanted to speak to the king actually had to go through special messengers. So the, the presence of the king was restricted and regulated. There was, there was so many um, stipulations into getting in to the king's presence. And uh, we actually see something like this in the book of Ruth, or the book of Esther, uh, chapter 4. If you remember, King Xerxes was married to Esther, but she couldn't come into his presence without proper authority, and she actually feared coming into his presence because she would be put to death if she didn't. Now, I know these human rulers um, are are not divine, and um, they probably don't reflect God's character in its entirety, but I, I think we can actually learn something from these rulers when we reflect on who God is and how we ought to approach him. And that's this. If, if human rulers should be revered in any way or their, their presence should be highly esteemed or taken seriously, how much greater should God's presence be taken seriously? So why do I, why do I bring this up this morning? Well, it may not be readily apparent, but our passage is actually about Prayer. You might not 
see it right away. Um, it sometimes takes a couple reads, but our passage is about coming before God and having confidence and access to him in prayer. So here's where I, I get that. In verse 19, we are told how to reassure our hearts before God. And second, in verse 21, we are told how to have confidence before God. So these ex- expressions, before God, um, clue us into what's happening. We know that whatever's happening here in 1 John, that's happening in God's presence. So the question is, what do we, what do, we do in God's presence? So verse 22 gives us our answer. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. So it's prayer. I mean, it's one facet of prayer, but it's prayer. We're coming into the presence of God, and and we're praying to him. And if you're not convinced of this, John actually gives us a parallel passage that kind of clarifies what's going on here, and it's in chapter 5. Here he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So there's a lot of material in this passage this morning, and we're just going to focus on on one part of it. Um, We're going to tackle one part, and that's this. We're going to focus on how we can overcome our condemning hearts before God and have access and confidence before him. And we're going to do that by by asking a couple questions. So the first question is, what is prayer? I I know that we've probably already assumed that you know what prayer is, but we're going to ask that question. What is prayer? So we don't have a lot of time this morning um, to to figure out all of the different ways that we could come before God and pray. So this morning we're just going to focus on on four, and we're going to kind of run through them quickly. But they spell out the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. So the first one is A, adoration. Adoration is just a process of coming into the presence of God to adore him, to reverence him, to meditate on him, to reflect him. And when we do that, we praise him, we thank him, we bless him, we honor him for who he is. So this is how David adores God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Second, C, confession. So confession is when we come into the presence of God and we lay all of our sins before him and, and we repent and we ask God for forgiveness. We see this just before our passage in 1 John. Here he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God is faithful. We can come into his presence in prayer. We can repent before him, and, and he will forgive us. That's, that's a part of prayer. Third, thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is, is praising God for what he has done for us, and especially for what he has done for us in his son as the, as the peak of his, his work and creation. We thank God for what he has done for his son. Paul tells us here in Colossians, and whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we can be thankful to God for what he has done for us. That's that's a part of prayer as well. Last, supplication. So supplication is is coming before God and, and laying our petitions before him. 
making our needs known to him, asking God for things that we might need. And God is, God is faithful to answer. We see here, like right after our, our passage and also in our passage, John say, if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. Now, what do all of these have in common? I mean, what's the common thread between adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication? Well, they all presuppose that God is actually a relational being, that we can interact with him, that he responds to us, that we engage with him, we enter into his presence. It's not just an information relay. We don't just throw up a prayer to God. I mean, we can, but prayer is so much more than that. It's not just telling God stuff. It's having a conversation with God, interacting with God. Prayer is not just a formula. We don't repeat things just so that God would hear us. We engage with him. We speak to him like we would a friend. And it's really, prayer really is just communion with God. I mean, it's, it's the outworking of our relationship with him. We, we engage with God, we pray. That's just what happens. That's, that's what interacting with God is. We, we communicate to him through prayer. But there's just one problem, and that's really only a problem if we're engaging with the real God and not just the idea of God. And that's this. Oftentimes, as we enter into God's presence, our hearts start to accuse us, and we start to feel things like accusations like we're inadequate, or we're incapable, or we're unable, or we're sinful. Right? And all of these accusations pile up, and we stop having confidence before God. And in some sense, rightly so. I mean, we are sinful people. And we see this sort of thing happen all the time in Scripture. I mean, in fact, Peter, when he comes before the presence of Christ, and I, it might be the first time he realizes who, really, who Jesus really is, says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Or Isaiah, when he comes into the presence of God and he sees God's glory, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we see this, this, this brokenness before God. You know, as, as I f- reflect on uh, Isaiah and Peter and their experience engaging with God. I'm, I'm reminded of, of um, a time where my wife and I, Shannon, were, were really busy. And because we were busy, we weren't able to get all of our dishes done. And they started to stockpile in our sink. I'm not sure if this guy happens to you guys uh, at all. But for us, it's a pretty regular occurrence, right? So as they're, as they're piling up, um, I just thought, all right, I, I mean, enough's enough. I just got to take care of this. So I'm, I'm washing all of the, the dishes that we, that we have piled up. And um, as I'm doing it, it starts to get darker and darker in our apartment. But my hands are wet. I'm, like, into it. I got my headphones in. So I'm just going for it. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to, like, beat out the sun. But it gets darker and darker and darker. And I finish right as it's, you know, close to sunset, and my wife comes in, and she can hear the water running. She's probably like, what the heck is this guy doing, and what did I get into? But um, she flips on the lights, and she's like, what are you doing, you know? And as she flips on the lights, I realize that all of the dishes 
that I had been cleaning were filthy. I mean, they were filthy. I had coffee all in my coffee mugs and oatmeal still stuck in my bowls. And <laughs> I mean, everything that I thought I had been doing, everything that I had thought I had been doing to um, clean these dishes was inadequate. And I, I think that's our experience oftentimes when we come before God. Oftentimes, his perfections expose our imperfections. When we come before him, he reveals and exposes all that we are, and oftentimes we lose our confidence. Now, you might be thinking to yourself at this point, I I know I'm sinful, and I, I know that I'm imperfect, but what is God demanding of me so that I can enter his presence? What can I do to get into the presence of God? I think John tells us right here in in, uh, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. So I think it's important before we even get into this that we should acknowledge, before we can be obedient to this command, that we actually have to realize where we have been unable to fulfill it perfectly. So let's, let's take this one piece at a time. The first is faith. So as you consider your faith this morning, how have you not perfectly believed in the name of God's Son? How have you not believed in Jesus this morning? Maybe you've tended towards moralism, and instead you've, you've neglected the righteousness that God has given to you freely through the gospel, and instead you try to stand before God in your own righteousness. Or maybe you've tended towards relativism, And you've denied that Jesus is the only way, or you've neglected that Jesus is the only way to enter into the presence of God. Instead, you've pursued other forms of spirituality alongside Christianity. And you've rejected or neglected what Jesus has said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or maybe in the midst of of trial, you've felt suffering and, and struggle, and you've started to question, is, is God still good to me? Is he still good? Will he act on his promises? And because of this, you've withdrawn from his presence. You're hesitant to go into his presence. Or maybe you're just unsure about Jesus this morning, or, or, you, don't, or you don't know him. Or maybe you think you know him and you hate him for who he is, and you don't want to enter into his presence at all. But where... Where are you at this morning? Where's where's your faith? And how are you not trusting in in Jesus? Second, as you consider your brothers and sisters, how have you not perfectly loved them? Maybe in your efforts to know and love God, you've rejected or neglected your brothers and sisters right next to you. I know at times I've I've experienced this as well, uh, spending a lot of time in seminary, reading books, and feeling like, I haven't given the proper time to my brothers and sisters. So where, is, where are you doing that in your life? Or maybe you've, you've neglected to speak the truth in love. I mean, that's something that God calls us to do all the time. Maybe God has convicted you to confront someone, and you've been hesitant to confront them. Or maybe all you do is confront people, and God is calling you to take a step back and console and encourage your brothers and sisters. Or maybe you've avoided the physical needs of your brothers and sisters. You might speak to them in platitudes and you might say, go in peace, be warmed and filled like the book of James says, but 
you might have left them cold and hungry while you said it, right? So take care of your brother's physical needs. Or maybe you're just too busy um, and you haven't, made, you haven't made your church family a priority. And again, I, I know this is one I struggle with, with busyness, constantly struggling to have that balance between honoring your brothers and sisters, being invested in the church, and taking care of, of your um, responsibilities that God has laid before you. But where are you at this morning? How have you not perfectly trusted in God or perfectly loved your brothers and sisters? Now, I think at this point we should all be weary of entering into God's presence. I mean, if, if we have not been able to fully fulfill this command, then we have no right to stand before God. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've perfectly fulfilled this commandment, <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, I've done it good enough, right? Then I, I want to encourage you with something uh, John says earlier in, in this book. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the question is, what do we do? I mean, I, I know that we're probably all pretty discouraged right now, but what do we do? How do we overcome our condemning hearts when we enter into the presence of God? What way is there for us? This leads us uh, to our next point. We overcome our condemning hearts through faith in Christ. This, this is important. We overcome our condemning hearts through faith in Christ. Christ proved to be the only one to perfectly trust the Father. In John 5, 19, it says that Christ did nothing of his own accord, but only what the Father commanded him. In John 12, 49, it says that Christ said nothing of his own accord, but only what the Father spoke to him. So when Christ received perfect obedience, he did everything that was pleasing to the Father. And he was obedient to the Father even to the point of dying on the cross. He gave up his life to be obedient to the Father. And Christ proved to be the only one to perfectly love his brothers and sisters. He looked upon others in pain, and he, he brought comfort to them. He saw people suffering, and he brought healing. He looked upon others who were broken and, and sinful, and he paid the price to forgive them. Christ was the only one to perfectly love his brothers and sisters, and he gave up his life so that we might live when we trust in him. But it's, it was really Christ. He's, he's the only one who deserved the confidence before God. He's the only one who did everything that was pleasing uh, to him. Listen to what, what Jesus says in John 8. He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only one that can say this. And, Jesus, and, and the Father is actually pleased with what Jesus has done. The Father is, is happy and, and delights in placing his presence with Jesus because Jesus is perfectly obedient. He was the only one who deserved confidence before God. But at the cross, he was denied that confidence. At the cross, the presence of God actually departed from Christ. And Christ was left there crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was the only one who didn't deserve condemnation before God. But at the cross, Christ stood condemned. He stood condemned when he didn't deserve it. 
and the full force of God's wrath was laid upon him. He took God's wrath and stood condemned. It's only because Christ was denied God's presence. Now that we can go into God's presence, and it's only because Christ was condemned that we can actually have confidence before God. I, I think that this is what Romans 8.1 is getting at when it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Because Christ took the condemnation that we deserved, we can have confidence before God now. We can stand before God and feel guiltless and unashamed because of what Christ has done. You know, as I, I reflect on Christ's work, I'm reminded of, of Moses. Moses so wanted to see God and to experience God that he, he tried to devise a plan with, with God. And here was the plan. He knew that he was sinful, right? I mean, he knew that he couldn't enter into the full presence of God, but he wanted to see his glory. He said, God, show me your glory. And so here was the plan. Moses is going to hide in the cleft of a rock. And as he hide it, or hid in the, the cleft of a rock, God's presence was going to pass by, and he was going to get just a glimpse of God's glory as he passed by. And the cleft was going to protect him, right? And as he passed by, he was able to gaze upon God's glory. But that was only just a type. That, that pointed forward to what we get to experience in Christ. Christ is our cleft. We get to live in Christ. We get to be protected by God's wrath in Christ. And now we get to enter into God's presence and enjoy him for who he is. We get to experience him. We get to know him in his goodness because of what Christ has done. This is, this is the, the point this morning, that we would know God through what Christ has done. That we would stand confident before God because Christ has taken on our condemnation. He's taken on the accusations. He was ashamed so that we can stand before God as he is. And even though we don't deserve access to God, through Christ we have access. This is what Christ paid for. This is, this is the gospel right here, access to God because of what Christ has done. Here's how the book of, of Hebrews describes it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So it's through Christ alone that we're able to overcome a condemning heart and, and come into the presence of God through, through Christ alone. Second, we overcome our condemning hearts by being tested and examined in God's presence. So this is not a new way to overcome condemnation. It's a process that God offers to us so that we can apply the gospel to our lives. So this is the outworking of the gospel in our lives. In verse 19, I believe that John is showing us a process that we can all use to apply the gospel to our condemning hearts. So let's, let's revisit that. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and to reassure 
our hearts before him. And the word translated here as reassure can actually mean persuade. So I'll, I'll paraphrase. John is saying something like this. By this, or this is how we know that we are of the truth. And persuade our heart of the truth before him. So again, he's giving us a process. We're, we're coming into the presence of God and aligning our heart with his truth. John goes on in, in verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us, namely that our life is is inconsistent with the truth. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So why does John tell us that God is greater than all things or greater than our heart and, and knows all things? I mean, the first time I read this, I thought, he's giving us a process to direct our hearts of the truth. And then he tells us God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. It almost seems like he's bypassing that answer. And then I started reading more, and I realized, wait a second. God is the answer. God is greater than our condemning hearts, and he knows all things. That's the answer. So as we enter into God's presence, our condemning hearts are provoked. We, we feel these accusations. Our hearts, again, begin to tell us that we're inadequate, that we don't deserve God's presence. And it's true. We don't. But... They're provoked because God is gracious to us. He doesn't provoke us in his wrath. He provokes us in his grace so that we would grow in truth, so that we would trust the gospel. I think that's why David could say in Psalm 26, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. But he doesn't stop there because, you know, that would be a very challenging thing to do in the presence of God. But he says, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. So we enter into to God's presence, asking God to try us and examine us, but we do it knowing that God is gracious to us because of his son. So when our hearts condemn us, God himself is greater than our hearts because he provides the grace that we need to overcome the condemnation, and he provides the strength that we need to live in obedience to the gospel. That's why God is greater than our hearts. So the process looks something like this. We come before God. We pray. In God's presence, oftentimes our hearts condemn us. And God gives us assurance in his son. God forgives us of our sins as we confess them before him. And he gives us the strength to move forward and to live in obedience to him. That's, that's the process this morning that, that John is, is offering for us. So this, this brings us to our, our last question. How do we increase the effectiveness of our prayers? This is the, the short answer. We ought to pursue holiness so that God makes our prayers more effective. But let me explain, because I, I think that sounds at first like we are trying to earn God's, God's um, presence, and we try to earn uh, God's willingness to respond to us, and, and that's not what we're getting at here this morning. But I, I think there is this principle throughout Scripture. I think as we grow in holiness, God does increase the effectiveness of our prayers, and I, I think our sin can actually hinder our prayers. So let me, let me lay that out for you real quick. In, in James, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Peter, after he encourages holy living, says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, 
and his ears are open to their hearts. Well, the psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, we, we must not misunderstand this teaching. God is not saying that he hears us partially because of faith and then partially because of works. God hears us only because of faith, and it's even a faith that he gives us as a gift so that we have no right to boast before him. But all true faith has works. I mean, that's how we know it's true faith. Works radiate from true faith. So here's where I'm getting that in our, in our passage, if this seems a little off topic. John tells us in verse 22, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And we do what pleases him. And then he goes on to say, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, John's writings, but this concept of abiding is actually a very uh, recurrent one, and it's, and it's a very significant one. In uh, the 15th chapter of, of his gospel, he actually, before his crucifixion, speaks to the disciples about abiding. And this is what he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying this because a branch only produces fruit when it's abiding in the branch, in, in, the, in the roots. It's dependent. It, it's secondary. So any fruit, any, any work that comes from the branches is coming from its source, the tree. So what happens if, if you cut off a branch and you stick it into the ground? I mean, unless you have like a, a special tree, um, generally it, it withers. Generally it, it doesn't produce fruit. This is exactly what our, our faith is like if we truly abide in Christ. If we abide in him, our lives produce fruit. And if we don't abide in him, our lives do not produce fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing of our own accord. It's, it's only in abiding in Christ that, that fruit comes out of our life. So this is how we, we grow in holiness. We trust more and more that what Christ has done for us is sufficient. We trust more and more that what Christ has done to overcome our condemnation is sufficient for us. And because of that, and only because of that, we can come into God's presence. But as we do that, we become more and more obedient to what God has commanded us. We learn how to apply the gospel to every aspect of our life. We learn how to be obedient to what God has done for us. But it can only happen if we're in Christ through faith. The more our character reflect, reflects Christ's character, the more that we have kingdom priorities. And the more that we have kingdom priorities, the more often God answers our prayers. So it's, it's coming in line with God's will. We ask God, give us your priorities. Make us more like your son. Give us faith. Give us strength. We, we draw everything from Christ so that we can be obedient to him. And I think as we do that, we start to see more effective prayer. So as we, as we wrap up this morning, I, I want to remind you, it might seem like I'm saying this over and over again, but it's, it's important. It's, it's only through Christ that we have confidence and access before God. 
He's the only way that we can overcome our condemning hearts when we come into his, in his, into his presence. And I, I know that a lot of us struggle with having confidence before God. And, and a lot of us wonder, do we have access to God? Does he approve of us? Does he, does he accept us? And I, I think it's an important question to ask, but the amazing thing is God doesn't leave us to wonder. He's given us that answer, and his, and his answer is in his son. He is our confidence before God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray that we would experience and continue to experience your presence this morning and, and throughout the week, God. We pray that we can come before you in confidence, not because of what we have done, but knowing that your, sin, your son has taken on our sin, taken on our condemnation, that we might be free before you and unashamed. Your son has become the cleft for us that we can stand in, that protects us so that we can enter in, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would assure us of this. And from that place, God, I, I pray that you would allow us to be obedient to you, God, that you would give us your kingdom priorities, that you would increase our holiness, that you would give us conviction to pray. Lord, and I, I pray that you would answer our prayers as we pray more and more for your kingdom, as we pray more and more for your presence here in Escondido and in the nations, Lord. I, I pray that you would make your presence known through us. Lord, we thank you again for the great gift your son is. We pray these things in your name.